I mean, you're basically pre-revenue. You're doing clinical trials, right? Absolutely. We're pre-revenue, but we do have a plan. So I can give you an well, yeah, idea. I mean, so when you say you don't want to get into your revenues, I mean, you can just tell me you're pre-revenue, right? That's a much better way to say it. It makes it very easy. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey, folks. My guest today is Adi Berenson. He's the co-founder and CEO of Claire Labs. Prior, he was three years as human interaction designer and prototyping at Apple. And before that, eight years as VP of business development and marketing for PrimeSense, the leader in 3D sensing technology behind Microsoft Connect and Apple's Face ID cameras. PrimeSense was acquired by Apple. Adi, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay. Great to be here. You yeah. bet. So Claire Labs at C-L-A-I-R, you're building contact-free remote patient monitoring systems. Mm-hmm. What got you into that yeah. space? So um, actually, it's all started from our work in Apple, uh, which I cannot get too much into it. So my, my background is coming from consumer electronics, but in my days in Apple, I got to work a bit with them on digital health projects. That was back in 2017. Uh, and I realized what a monumental... Um, challenge it is for modern societies. And uh, once I started getting into this and and learning about how old-fashioned workflows uh, are there, we realized that technology can make a huge difference. I mean, we we very, very quickly, even before we started the company, we narrowed in on an horizontal uh, workflow, which is patient monitoring. And I can get into it more, but I'll follow your lead. Yeah. So patient monitoring, there's sensors that are installed. So there's, is there an IoT play here? Do you pay for the sensor installation? So it is an IoT play. You got it right. The unique part about it is that it is not touching the patient. So clinicians are calling it passive monitoring because the patient need, doesn't need to do anything. So contact-free is not wireless. It's actually collecting the signals environmentally without touching your skin. Um, it's not a oh, bit. Adi, what is it though? Is it like a lamp you sort of set next to your bed? Like, how do you think about it? Yeah, it's a beautiful comparison. It is like a lamp. Yeah. Uh, so it does need to have some kind of line of sight to your skin. Okay. Uh, and then by looking at your skin in two waves of near infrared, it can see movements of superficial arteries. So arteries that are very close to the surface. By looking at those arteries, we see volumetric changes. And we see tone changes. And then we are actually uh, recreating or regenerating the plus signal, pulse rate, oxygen sat, respiration rate, and so on. Interesting. What does the physical device cost? Okay. So I'm not going to, I mean, forgive me for that. I'm not going to expose our cost because we're not selling it to the consumer. The way it works, the business model is that our customers our providers, our healthcare providers, and they are offering it under, I will call an umbrella of RPM, remote patient monitoring services, which is reimbursed by Medicare and all major uh, healthcare payers. So it is a prescription service. The device is FDA cleared. And the way it works is the payer is paying for it as long as you are recognized as a chronic patient, 
or a patient at some kind of, you know, uh, are you manufacturing it directly? Did you have to go source in China, the manufacturing plant, or yes. is this someone else's yes. technology, like hardware? No, 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 it's our hardware. So we are, it's our own hardware. We are sourcing it exactly. As you mentioned, we're fabless, of course. So we're sourcing it in China and we are building the device itself. Yes. When did you ship your first device? So we, we are currently actually in clinical trials. So the devices that we are shipping into uh, facilities in the U.S. for clinical trials are actually not built in China. They're built in Israel in a low-volume prototyping facility. Uh, the trials are going on for two months already. Um, so it's not in production. How many have you produced for the, all the trials combined? 50. Five zero. Okay. Yeah, yeah, five zero. That's it. It's very low volume. Yeah. Okay, fifty for testing. Um, got it. And the healthcare providers are obviously the customers. Um, tell me about how you make money from them. What do they pay you on average per month? So I'm not going to get into numbers, but I was going to get into the business model. So basically, the components that the payer is paying the healthcare provider is made out of installation, is made out of the what the clinician is getting to review the material, and is made out of the actual monthly payment. For um, for collecting digitally collecting the signals from the patient, I'm getting most of this, and now I'm I'm going to explain a little bit. So I'm not going to get into my revenues, but the way it works is that if you have a chronic, well, I mean, patient, just to be fair, you're, you're like I mean, you're basically pre-revenue. You're doing clinical trials, right? Absolutely, we're pre-revenue, but we do have a plan, so I can give you an well, yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, so when you say you don't want to get into your revenues, I mean, you can just tell me you're pre-revenue, right? That's a much better way to say it. it makes it very easy. No, no, but I thought you were referring to what are our plans regarding revenue. So today is zero. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But if you want to know how, how, how big is the market and what is our plan for future revenues, then I can a little bit, I can give you one data. Uh, a chronic patient recognized as such under an RPM program can generate revenues for the care provider in the order of magnitude on, of $150 per month. It may out of several components. So this is, $1,800 per year. We believe that we're going to get a big chunk of it. That's the business model. So we're not charging the provider for the, the device itself. We're actually um, getting recurrent revenues out of the reimbursements. So let's just focus on Israel for a second. How many patients do you believe should have this lamp next to their bed, right? That should be sort of paid for with you know the, the government money, right? Medicare, Medicaid, whatever yeah, you guys have in Israel yeah, yeah. for that. So I will actually answer you in, uh, in, in US numbers because that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the market that we analyze and that's the market we're targeting. So the way it works is that I can picture for you right now a dream of all the chronic patients, but that's going to be a little bit superficial. So there is, for example, one condition that we're doing active clinical trials on and we are showing act, actual clinical outcomes, which is COPD, for example. So it's a respiratory condition. I mean, it's a, a chronic uh, obstructive pulmonary disease. There are 16 million patients um, recognized one as six, such. One six, one six or six, six. Zero. Okay. No, no, one six. One six million recognized as such. There's a lot of um, talk in the industry about the, un, uh, uh, yeah, the undiagnosed, but diagnosed, there are 16. So you have 16 million people on, you can get on an RPM program. Should yeah, got all it. of them should be. All of them should be. Yeah. Sure, sure. So 150 bucks a month, that's 2.4 million a month or about $30 million run rate for you getting 100% penetration of this market. That's actually not that big, right? For no, what no, you guys uh, are building. That's very small. Actually, I will, uh, I don't know how you got to it, but if you have 16, 16 million. 16 million. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're yeah. right. I missed a bunch of zeros there. 16 yeah. million. So, so how do you, the, the, the test you're running right now on the 50 devices, you're targeting the US market exclusively. 
Yes, right now exclusively. Yeah. Okay. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, sorry. That, that map is obviously much bigger, right? So 16 million patients yeah. at 150 bucks a month is like 2.4 billion a month, right? A and month. the reason exactly per yes. month. The, well, the reason I bring this up, right, is that, that's almost 30 billion dollars per year, right? Yeah. Which yeah. effectively is going to come out of my pocket, right? It's me paying. It's the uh, U.S. citizens paying into Medicare, Medicaid, or yeah. the U.S. government printing more money to cover these expenses. Actually, saving a lot of money, and I will explain. So, an average uh, COPD patient. Uh, a re- which is diagnosed as such, is uh, having an average uh, incident of hospitalization at least once a year. And this hospitalization is costing uh, $12,000. The reason why we are enrolling them on RPM programs is because we are showing data that we can um, um, raise a flag, an alarm, to the clinician uh, taking care of them seven to eight days before such hospitalization event and with simple uh, intervention of uh, antibiotics or steroids, you can prevent the whole hospitalization incident. So it's a, it's a it's an economically uh, money saving. So how uh, many hospitalizations are there right now in the U.S. from COPD patients exclusively? Uh, every year, sixteen million, because it's almost it's no, no, no. on average once a year. Yeah. So every single person in the U.S. with COPD goes to the hospital at least once per year. On average, so some more, some less. That's the average rate. Yeah, I, I see. I see. Interesting. What you're arguing, yeah. what you're arguing, though, is that with your early indicators, right, mm-hmm. via the veins and the skin and the early things, seven days mm-hmm. early, you're basically saying no, none of your you're not going to replace all 16 million hospitals. No, no, we're no, no, we are we are not, and it's very it's going to be very irresponsible of me right now to say exactly how many we are. But we are sh- what we are showing, and I'm going to be very accurate with you, Nathan. What we are showing is that we are raising the, an accurate alarm flag seven to eight days before. Very, I mean, in very high rates, like 95%. Okay, 95% of the, ex- uh, the the hospitalization cases of the clinical trials of the sample we we sampled, we are showing a very obvious deviation of a score combined out of oxygen sat heart rate and respiration rate out of norm. Um, and then, and we know that there is an effective intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we believe there is going to be, we believe, and that's what we are pitching, that there is going to be a substantial economical benefit to this RPM. Why does it have to be your IoT device? I mean, listen, I use Whoop and I look at resting heart rate. I look at respiration. I look at the exact same things you're talking yeah, about. And I yeah. could tell when I was getting COVID because my resting heart rate was jumping through the roof. It was very obvious. They put a little yeah, warning yeah. in the app that said, you yeah, probably have yeah. COVID. And sure enough, I did. Yeah. Why can't somebody else do this for much cheaper? Okay. So it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a very good question. So you are asking me to compare ourselves to wearables because wearables are everywhere. So number one problem with COPD patients and with other chronic patients, especially elderly, is compliance. Everything that requires them to take action, which is charging, putting it back on, tolerating it even, pairing it with the phone, is, is, is going to lead to low compliance. So there, is gonna be, there, there are a lot of attempts to use wearables with them. It just doesn't work. This is the biggest mistake SaaS founders make, especially when they start thinking about exiting, raising, or doing a secondary. They go, Nathan, I want to do it like in two months. Can we get going? Folks, doing a successful exit or a raise at a really high valuation or a secondary that personally gets you a bunch of capital, 
It all starts like 12 months prior to when you want to do it. So it starts by sending out monthly updates to advisors, investors, potential teammates, etc. But you got to get going early on to build trust. When they receive a monthly update from you, it builds that trust. And you want these to be succinct, tight, and to the point. We started doing these over a year ago with FounderPath, and we get incredible response rates from them to the, to the point where we even publish them publicly. And so they're doing really well. That's when we decided, you know what, we need to help founders do this more effectively at scale. Now, I don't have time to build software for this, but Axios HQ has done an incredible job with this. As you know, Axios is a media brand. They now have a SaaS tool for helping you send internal communications to internal stakeholders, team members, advisors, and investors. And they power it using this thing called smart brevity. So you get templates on how to write these. It's quick and to the point, and they help you get it out to optimize for your team or investors or advisors getting excited about the business. This is the easiest way to build trust so that when you're ready to raise or ready to sell, you have a massive pipeline of people banging down your door. Go ahead and try Axios HQ today by going to nathanlacka.com forward slash Axios. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash A-X-I-O-S. Isn't it harder to convince all of them to install this thing on the desk next to their bed and make sure their skin is exposed for at least five minutes every day so your thing can do the reading? No, no. What you're describing is not passive. If I would have pitched that, that would have been bad. What I'm claiming is, is that they don't need to do anything. It just happens. I mean, uh, there is... They have to install the, the thing. How, you, they have to install the thing in their house. No, no. You need to install the thing. But the, Okay, so that is something, routine, right? Just like no, you have no, to buy they, a wearable and put it on your wrist. Fair enough. No, no, no. But once. And, that's, and for years, you don't need to do anything. That's once. You don't need to expose. I mean, what you describe, you need to expose your skin. Absolutely not. I reject it completely. You need to uh, manage yourself naturally. There, there was in the clinical trials we've done, there was no single night we didn't collect quality data over the night in enough samples to feel how the close do they have to sleep to your device? Five feet, two feet, yeah. 10 feet? Five to six feet, not 10 feet, up to six feet. It's enough. So you, as so long as their like body, as long as their body is sleeping within six feet of your device, your device can get the readings they need. Right on. Yeah, I see. Right Interesting. On. Okay. Give me the backstory here. when did you launch the business? So we launched the business in 2018. 2018. So, and have you guys yeah. bootstrapped or raised? Uh, we bootstrapped for a year and then we raised um, a seed round of 9 million in two trenches in 2019 and 2020. Okay. Okay. Nine now million, and then yeah, it's you a raise deep more? tech. That's why it takes. Money. Yeah, yeah, we are going to raise more for conduct um, in early twenty twenty two to. Okay, but nine million trials. total to date. Nine million total today. Yes. How much have you already burned through? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean we are not sharing that. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. We're not sharing that. I can tell you that we are thirteen people. Okay, we're not a so big company. All of them, a part of me, are researchers and engineers. How many are uh, full time so on the team? All of them. How many? Ah, 13. Yeah. 13. One okay, three. so there's, there's yeah, 13 on the team. How many are engineers? Ah, so half of them are researchers, half of them engineers, and I'm the only one who's doing all the rest. <laughs> I see. And do you, are you the only founder? Do you own 100%? No, 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 no. We are, uh, we are two co-founders. So my co-founder was working with me in Apple, and he's the, he's the brains behind the technology. He's a PhD in computer vision. He's one of the brightest minds in Israel in computer vision. Yeah. Okay, you guys just split it 50-50, or he gets more because yeah, yeah, he's smarter? Yeah. Not, uh, well, you should, but, but I'm lucky, so we're 50-50. <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys split it 50-50. Obviously, yeah, you yeah. do a seed, you take some dilution. Most folks are raising seeds now, and they're selling, call it 10 to 20% of the business. Were you sort of in that average? We, are, we, we were diluted by the two rounds uh, that we entered this season, of course, naturally. 
Yeah, but yeah, we're yeah. very proud of those partners. Yeah. My, my point is though, most people are, when you raise that money, you're giving up and selling 10 to 20% of the business, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ten, yeah. Ten, well, 10 is in the low side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you didn't give up more than 20% for 9 million, did you? Yeah, I'm not sharing that. Sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that would be a yes. Uh, why? Why? No, no, so why, I mean, no, that's my internal business. <laughs> Shouldn't be too interesting. Yeah. Well, it's it, what do you mean? It's ext- it's extremely interesting. The more you're diluted, the less control you have. It's the number one thing that matters when you're trying to build a business is control, so you can execute your vision. It's the most important yeah. thing any founder can be thinking about when you're launching your business. So I totally disagree well, that it's not important. And and uh, so let's agree to disagree. I've done it in the past. Uh, With what company? Company? No, with Prime Sense. We had a beautiful company. We entered VCs. Um, you are VP of business development, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was so, not the so, founder. Fair so you're enough. not the founder, so yeah. it's completely enough, different. But I know how it worked. No, but I know how it worked. So uh, I, if there is one thing that I will push very hard on is that there is no one formula to build the startups, okay? They're all different. Uh, so the story that, is... Which, which, is, which is exactly why I'm asking, right? Yeah. That's exactly yeah, why yeah. I'm asking. Yeah. So yeah. why are you okay taking 20, 30% dilution so early? Tell me more about the quality of the money. Where is it coming from? Why did you need these partners? Okay. I will, the quality of the money, I will tell you. So it's coming from a very reputable Israeli VC called Tendi. Okay. Tendi, you, you can look them up. I mean, it's, it was founded by one of the most reputable uh, venture capitalists in Israel, a, a veteran. And the other fund is called Supermoon Capital, uh, which is out of Silicon Valley. Um, both of, I mean, there are other private investors, but I will, I will just focus on those two because they are the most active investors and I'm working with them only on almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. Did you learn anything about the equity, you know, how equity was managed at prime sense, you know, mistakes that you want to make sure you don't, you don't do here in your current business. I mean, I, your point that my job was very different than FC is, uh, than a founder. I'm learning every day how different this was. So I had some exposure, but not complete exposure. I was not uh, going through what the founders went through. I was mostly on the operational side. So that's yep. a fair point. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, no, I mean, look, that company raised 36 million, well, almost $40 million, right? And Which, so that, that 20 million Series B, if you know, if they were raising at a minimum 10x, it was probably higher than that. That's a th- almost a 300 million valuation. And but you are they, talking about Prime Sense, right? Prime Sense, correct. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah they go out, yeah. That's 2008, right? Then you go out and sell for to Apple for 360 million. Uh, you know, that's basically at the valuation that it was four years prior to the to the exit, right? So you just lose optionality, but I get it. You're building a company that requires a lot of capital investment up front. There's yes, an IoT play, absolutely. there's tech, yes. so I get it. Yes. Um, okay, very cool. FDA and so on. Yeah. yeah, 13 on the team. So when do you guys think you'll have your first paying customer? Uh, early 2023. 2023? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's a long... Because you need, in order to realistically... Uh, not realistically, in order to make business... Um, reimbursement-based business, not out-of-pocket business, reimbursement-based business in healthcare in the US, you need to have FDA. In order to have FDA, you need to complete clinical trials, you need to do submission, and you need to wait for clearance. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a very realistic person. I can say 2022, but I can guarantee 2023. Mm-hmm. What um, Are you looking to raise more right now? Yeah, uh, we, we have a, a decent runway ahead of us. But we are keeping our options open. I mean, if there is going to be a very, very smart money in good terms, why not? Mm -hmm. What would you consider really smart money? Money that comes from the domain that open doors that name name an investor that you'd consider. No, I'm not going to name. No, No, name name an investor would be a great partner for you, where you would kill to have them involved. Why is that a Why is that a hard question, Adi? Uh, No, because uh, because what would the other investors say? I mean, I have yeah, I'm not naming uh, names. Yeah. 
Because what if I don't get them? Did I get my second best? So that's why I have my own lists, and that's uh, yeah, and that's a private information. Yeah. Who would be very strategic for Claire? I would describe them and not name them. Okay. Reputable VCs that are operating in digital health and medical, or and or uh, venture arms of the leading um, medical devices companies. Yeah. Who is a leading medical device company? Ignore who so you want. I, I, I just don't know, right? Who is these? These answers aren't so helpful to my I, audience I, I, who doesn't know your space, right? So okay, who is a top yeah. medical device company? Okay, so that's easier for me. Okay, because that's clear. If you look at companies like Medtronic, Massimo, Resmed, Philips, those are beautiful names to have involved in my company. Now, see, was Adi? Was that so hard? Was no, that no, really that difficult? Was yeah, that no, difficult? no? It's fine. Yeah, but this is I'm not going to do. <laughs> Sorry for that, Nathan. Yeah. No, it's so it's so it was so simple, right? That's so helpful. Yeah. Thank no, you for no, answering. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite book. Wow, favorite book. Wow, I I, I didn't prepare for that. So it's actually the corrections by Jonathan Frenzen. Yeah. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um. Actually, it's Philips. I know him for many years. I worked under him directly. Uh, Franz van Houten. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when I lived in the Netherlands. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Clary? Or Claire, sorry. Ah, uh, my mentors. <laughs> no, no, your favorite online tool. Ah, uh, online tool. I don't know. We're working with Monday, if that's relevant. Monday. All I'm, right. not, I'm not too in love with it. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tool. Yeah. You can't say that. Roy is another you know, Israeli engineer. You've got to say you love it. No, 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 no. I'm working with them, but I'm not in love with any online tool. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Uh -huh. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh my God, that's a bad one. Much too little. So I, I would say, to give you a direct answer, I don't know, four or five. Four or five. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Married with two kids. Okay. And how old are you? <laughs> 50. <laughs> That's the toughest one. <laughs> five, five, zero? Five, zero, yeah. All right. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Something I wish I knew when I was 20. Um, wow. I was asked in my 50th birthday if I have any regrets or if I would have done things differently, and I answered no, which is probably a lie, but I'm happy to believe in this lie. So I will, it's not a, I will this isn't a this is yeah. not a regret yeah. question, Adi. Yeah. It's it's for other yeah. people who are twenty who are listening. Yeah. that would love to yeah. learn from you, right? So something yeah. you wish you knew when you were twenty. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, do relocations, explore other cultures as early on. Uh, I did not enough of it, and I'm yeah, and I should have done it. Claire Labs, guys, they've invented a way to basically install, think of it like a, a, you know, a light or a lamp next to your bed for COPD patients to understand, again, early warning signals to try and prevent hospital visits, save taxpayers a lot of money. Uh, they're targeting the US market. 50 devices shipped today in clinical trials. They raised $9 bucks to get this thing to market, hoping to get their first paying customers by 2023. 13 folks on the team. We will see what happens. Adi, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. That was super fun. I appreciate it.